and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you're having a fabulous week. This is our last week for you to book into the personality and performance free masterclass on the 30th of August and the 1st of September. So jump in the show notes or in our challenges that change us Facebook group for more information. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Jess Lawton. She's a dear friend and colleague of mine. Jess has over 17 years experience in human resources and organizational development, She's passionate about working with people and teams, and her goal is to challenge status quo and use her experience in change management, strategy, business design, and development to hone in on organizational leaders and teams. Jess is a certified Gallup strength coach, life and NLP coach, and has recently supplemented her psychology and sociology degrees with further education and has added in strategic psychotherapy clinical hypnotherapy, and counseling to her toolbox. We touch on Jess's career at the beginning of this episode, and you will hear me wanting to ask so many more questions around hypnotherapy. I mean, who isn't curious, right? We move on to discuss Jess's experience with high-functioning anxiety, a part of Jess that is unseen by many in her world, and something she lives with on a daily basis. I want you to listen carefully to how well-versed Jess is at talking about anxiety, She can talk about it without emotion, and often this is how anxiety goes undiagnosed. Someone can appear as if anxiety does not exist in their world. They might even be unaware that the anxiety is there themselves. This is why it is so critical that we ask the questions of our loved ones. Are you okay? How are you going with what's happening in your world right now? How can I best support you through this? Throughout this episode, I want you to start to think about your own experience. What does stress look like in your world? How does it show up? Do you recognize the difference between anxiety and stress for you personally? Is it something that's impacting your everyday life? Beyond Blue describes anxiety as more than just a feeling of stressed or worried. While stress and anxious feelings are a common response to a situation where you feel under pressure, they usually pass once the situation has passed or if the stressor has been removed. Everyone feels anxious from time to time. When anxiety feelings don't go away or happen without any particular reason or make it hard for you to cope with everyday life, this may be a sign of an anxiety condition. Not many people will realize that anxiety is the most common mental health condition in Australia. On average, one in four people will experience anxiety at some stage in their life. This equates to over 2 million Australians in a 12-month period. There are many ways to help manage anxiety, but the sooner people get support for their anxiety, the more likely they are to recover. Beyond Blue and Lifeline are some great helplines to start with if you're wanting to talk to someone about your experience. This particular episode is sprinkled with tools and strategies to help your anxiety 
If some of these are new to you and you would like me to elaborate on them further, please DM me and I can post some resources, some exercises, or add some content up around this information. You may want a pen and paper handy for this episode. So let's get started. Welcome Jess to the podcast. Um, it is so lovely to have you on this morning and just to even see your face on the other side of the computer just, you know, has already made my day. So thank you for coming on. Thanks, Isles. It's a pleasure to be here. Jess, I really love to start the podcast with a couple of questions. So the first one is, is there an animal that you would use to best describe you? And if yes, what animal is it and why? You know, this is a question that, you know, listening to all your podcasts, I've been really thinking about it because I knew you were going to ask it. I think for me, my animal is an otter. So I know it sounds like a strange one, but I just love the cute little creatures that they are and they're such social, happy, sort of, I guess they're positive little animals and when I see them at the zoo, they just fill me with joy and I like to smile and I like to make other people feel good and I think that's where I kind of resonate with an otter. (laughs) I I get so excited when there's a new animal that comes on the show. (laughs) Every time I think we're going to get the same animal and (laughs) nope, to my surprise, an otter. It's kind of an yeah, it's a bit random, I guess, but I do, there's just something about them. And plus they're water lovers and I'm a water lover. So I love to be in the ocean and I love to swim. So I think, yeah, they just really, they make me feel good. And you're actually doing life-saving at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, yep. I did my bronze medallion last year. It was part of a lifelong, I guess it was a bucket list goal. I did my, finished my bronze and I um, had my first patrol year last year, which was fantastic. So we're just about to start the new season. So I can't wait to get back in to the yeah. water and yeah, be with them. And the second question I really love to ask is about, is there a place when you were growing up that really resonates with you, like a favorite place or a favorite room in your house? Yeah, um, I've got a few different places. The place that I was thinking about is there's a, when I was a kid, we used to go to a dairy farm. A friend of ours had a farm and he used to take us out to milk the cows. So we used to go for the afternoon milking and it was just this fantastic, I guess, a little bit of a ritual of, you know, the cows, they know what time it is. They know to come in for milking and they'd all walk up and come into the dairy. And we would help the farmer with milking the cows. And then we'd go to the big milk vat and we'd drink the the, um, unpasteurized milk out of the vats. And for me, it's like this really special memory. And it's a, I guess it's just a, a part that makes me really love the outdoors. I always thought I'd probably end up on a farm, which is random enough. I end up at the beach. Did you think you'd own a dairy farm? Yeah, I did. I still... I just need to stop you here. I've never heard you say this in like the 20 years I've known you. So can you just explain this to me a little bit further? (laughs) I'm full of surprises, Alice. Well, I think it's something that, you know, I don't know. I just love the idea of um, creating something and, and, you know, I'd love to be able to work with... I love animals. So it's just sort of one of those things I always thought I'd maybe own a farm. And when we lived in Canberra, I actually was looking into a dairy in... um, on the south coast and you know everyone thought I was mad that just blows my mind so anyone out there I know there's a lot of listeners that actually know Jess I would love to hear your opinions on whether you can see Jess as a dairy farmer owning a farm milking cows every day or whether that's just like 
so out there to even think about that. But I love that, Jess. I love learning something new about people that I'm so close to. There you go. I surprised you. (laughs) I'm sure you're going to surprise me lots throughout this podcast. So Jess, what I'd like to start with today is just kind of going through your career so far. Like, you know, what led you? So Jess has worked in a lot of different spaces, particularly in the corporate space in HR and working with people. But we actually started way back in psych together at St. Albert's College in Armidale. And I think that's where our friendship started to grow. Do you want to just take us through a few of those chapters of your career? Yeah, sure. So yeah, obviously we started in psych and then I somehow ended up in sort of more of the training space recruitment. And in I started in sort of that space and moved into HR, um, which is HR is something I loved and I worked in HR for a long time um, in RTOs and then I went into hotels. So I worked for five-star hotels, which I love. I love the glamour of the hotel and, the, you know, HR in a, um, a hotel is quite important. Lots of people come to you and they need you. And then I moved across to finance and finance was a whole nother world, completely different personalities. And I learned a lot about myself in that space, but also about personalities and about how people work. I learned how different social hospitality beings are to more analytical finance beings. So I guess that was a really interesting part of my career and and really helped set me up. And then when we had the opportunity to move to Port Macquarie, I started working for our local council here. And that role is um, a role that I really loved. To begin with, it was, it was, you know, um, I was in the learning and development space and then moved into more of, a, I guess I'm a bit of a jack of all trades when it comes to HR. And then the last few years I've been working in the organizational development and more of sort of the business improvement part of the business. But my main role is kind of, well, has been kind of um, leading people and helping teams to become their best and most efficient selves. So working with leaders and particularly new leaders and really helping them to hone their skills to be able to to make their teams their very best best. And Jess, that's what, you know, we've we've recruited Jess into Try Attitude Performance, which you all met Andy last week, who's one of our physios. And Jess is actually comes in and does a lot of the facilitation of the workshops. And we do a lot of stuff behind the scenes about how we can help improve the culture within the workplace and help our leaders grow and help the people feel more like, you know, we spend half our life, if not more at work, right? So yeah. how can we improve that experience and really feel like each individual is thriving within the workplace, but the workplace is thriving as a whole? Yeah. And that's a space that I really I love I I see so much when you start to really see a team pull together the best they can you see their strengths coming out and you really see how efficient and effective they can be but also culturally how um, happy they become at work and you know there's this sort of inspiration or engagement that you see of the of the team that makes a big difference when they've got a great leader. And Jess throughout your career you've actually done some really interesting study so I'd just like to spend a few moments in that space as well particularly around NLP which we're going to talk about what that is and around yeah. hypnotherapy and Gallup strengths. Yes. So Let's start with maybe let's start with strengths because you just mm-hmm. talked about that before. So can you tell us a little bit about Gallup Strengths and what it's used for and why it's so so fabulous for teams to have in their repertoire of tools? Yeah, sure. So um, about three or four or five years ago, I became a certified Gallup Strengths coach, which is a week long course. And Gallup Strengths is a fantastic tool where you learn it's like personality profiling very similar to you know Myers-Briggs or DISC or any of those ones but Gallup Strengths is a lot more in depth and basically what it is is there's 
34 strengths and you go through and you do a do a personality profile which gives you your five top strengths and then the ones that lead on after that so it's all about being able to I guess read people's strengths and understand what makes them work and what makes them tick and I guess you and I have the real interest in this space so we talk about personalities all the time yeah but like an example for example I know that one of your strengths is is a learner so you are so interested in always being you know always finding out something new and I know that if I when we're working together you work your best when you're continually growing and learning in whatever space you're in so for me that's an example of a way that knowing that one of your strengths is learner I can actually work my best with you by making sure you're interested by making sure that I'm keeping you interested yeah and that can work really well I guess in a workplace environment if you can start to understand your colleagues and that's what you know I talk a lot about DISC which is just another type of personality profiling but really what it's about is when we talk about these strengths it's about leveling up your strengths so knowing what you're good at using and being brilliant in that space but then understanding how you can kind of lean into the other areas and is it do you need support in that area or can we skill you up in that area so that you can flex your style to go more across the whole spectrum. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's important when we talk about personality profiling, it's important that we don't pigeonhole you into the things that you think or we think are you, that you actually, your strengths and what they like to say is they're kind of your natural talents. So those are the things that you naturally are good at. You can work on any of your other personality or strengths or, you know, whatever profiling tool it is. It doesn't necessarily mean that you know, you're stuck with with what you've kind of got. It means that you uh, that's where you're best and most naturally suited to working and you can grow and change and, and develop over time. Yeah, like I think about it, it's when you say natural, it gives you energy. So, for example, if you're a teacher and you're writing reports and detail's not your thing, you're going to feel more drained in that space versus someone that they're really detailed, system process driven. Yes. They might find that space gives them energy, whereas going and doing a parent-teacher interview drains them or they have to work a little bit harder in that space or pull on a bit more of their skill set as opposed to just naturally walking in the world that way. Absolutely. Yeah, and just talk to us a little bit about NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. God, it's been a while since I've been in this space. I think <laughs> yeah. I did that. I did my first Neuro Linguistic Programming when we finished Psych, so mm. almost 20 years ago. But you've just recently done it. Is that correct? Yeah, so I, I did it many years ago when I did some life coaching training. I did NLP then as well. But, I've yeah, recently done like a bit of a refresher and – Part of that has been really interesting. So, I mean, it's sort of NLP has a bit of a tough reputation. Lots of people kind of, you know, feel it's a little bit strange, a little bit deep. So it's about understanding how the mind works, but also how to understand people and read people. So NLP is about your patterns and your behaviors and what you do in a space and sort of understanding your unconscious mind as well as your conscious mind. So as you know, you know, we are all very aware of what's going on in our mind consciously, but NLP is about understanding better what's happening unconsciously for yourself, but also for others. So when I'm in an NLP space with somebody else, I'm trying to understand their patterns and behaviors, but also what's happening for them potentially unconsciously. So what's happening behind the scenes? And what's happening out of their awareness. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And I often think about, you know, <laughs> you can often tell when someone's had NLP training when they pick up on the words that you use. So yes. don't you think? <laughs> when you're reframing something or. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Yeah. And can you just tell us a little bit about what we mean when we say the word reframing? Yeah, so, sure. So when uh, you'll probably hear me say that sometime today, I uh, use it quite often, but reframing is when you have a thought or a belief that you continually talk about and you notice in people, they often will use the similar kind of words or similar kind of beliefs. And it's about changing that in their mind. So reframing it. So for example, you might have a belief that you will never be good at maths. And I often do it with my kids. You know, I say, I'm not very good at maths or I make some comment around my inability with maths. And then I try and stop myself and reframe it before I say anything. And I'll say, you know, I'm still becoming good at maths or I'm not good at maths yet, but I'm still working on it. Or I try and, um, you know, reframe the way I, I say things because you know that. So by saying it, we we start to believe it. So the more you reframe your negative thoughts into something positive, the more you'll live it and become it. And this is something we've spoken about on this podcast. One of the examples that I think of in this space is in the gym when someone, I say to them, you know, let's do a push up, and they're like, I can't do a push up. And so where I might challenge that, I might say, you can't do a push-up. They're like, I can't do a push-up. I'm like, not one. Like you can't do a push-up on your knees or on the wall. And they'll be like, oh, no, I could do a push-up on my knees. I'm like, so you can do a push-up. And they're like, yes. You know, it's that kind of Mm -hmm. challenging that space and that specific intention behind the words that we use and really going, is the story we're telling ourselves impacting the way that we move forwards or how we want to live our life or how we show up for ourselves in that moment? Absolutely. And I think it's really big when you start to really think about the things that you're saying and when you think about the fact that everything you, um, all your self-talk, all the things that you tell yourself, if they are in a really negative frame, then it is like, of course you start believing that. So stopping and actually going, oh, can I readjust that? And can I reframe that to make that a little bit more positive? It makes a big difference. And it's it's an ongoing challenge. You know, we, I think we always can work on that space and I try and work on it every day but yeah when I'm in a in a clinical space with somebody I really get the chance to to help them to see some of their the way they could reframe some of their thoughts yeah and that brings us to hypnotherapy this Mm. is a topic that I know the listeners are going to be interested in so we're just going to spend about three to five minutes discussing hypno before we move on to your challenge which is why we brought you on the podcast today but can you tell us a little bit about hypnotherapy let's go big picture first and we're going to narrow it down I'm going to ask you some sticky questions around it (laughs) thanks I'm still a little bit nervous about talking about hypnotherapy because people do have that initial like ooh. What does that even, what is that? Is it magic? Is they it do. Yep. Is they it magic? Imagine, yep, they imagine they make, get, make you cluck like a chicken. Yeah, that's exactly what I think about. Mm-hmm. I literally have a picture of someone on stage walking around clucking like a chicken. Yeah, I think most people do because that's what that's what we've seen um, in media. And look, that is very much that stage hypnotherapy or hypnosis is very much still a thing, but there there are tricks of the trade that hypnotherapists use that are very different to what we use in clinical practice. So hypnotherapy on stage, they usually will pick people who are highly suggestible and they will do work with them beforehand, which you don't see behind the scenes. So they're very, very good at, at, at getting the right people and helping them to get into a really deep trance before they go, before the show starts. 
And some people are just highly suggestible, so they will pick them out of the crowd and, you know, they have very tricky ways of, of getting people into, into hypnosis. But that's not, that's not what hypnotherapy is all about. So hypnotherapy in a clinical sense is basically we bring you in and we talk to you about what is happening for you, what the thing that you'd like to change or the thing you'd like to improve. And we usually will talk through what that looks like and understand it really well. And then we do put you into trance. So trance is like this really beautiful, deep relaxation space so you feel very calm very relaxed and you have complete control so you will remember everything that happens in that hypno space you remember when you're in trance you might not necessarily recall everything but at any time you can come out of trance you're not you know you're not glued to being in that space interesting very important information I didn't know that so you're still completely in control which is what I think freaks a lot of people out about hypnotherapy but the idea is that in trance you're highly suggestible so you are much more open to digging into that unconscious mind and it's where we get you in that unconscious space that we can start to really talk to your unconscious and to help you to move stuff forward. So the idea is of hypno and psychotherapy is that rather than staying stuck where you are, which in in traditional talk um, counseling or talk therapy, you often go over and over the same things. So you might work on something that's happened in your past, or you might be working on what's happening for you now. The idea of psychotherapy and hypnotherapy is to try and push you forward into a more future fo- focused space and how you're going to move it forward. So it's quite, it's really powerful. So Jess, when you're talking about that, are there certain areas, themes, topics, behaviors that um, hypno would be great for? If someone's listening to this and thinking, oh, I wonder why would I go and see someone that's trained in hypno versus Mm. seeing a counsellor or something like that? Yeah, so hypno can be used for lots and lots of different things. Um, Lots of people use it for things like addictions or phobias. Anxiety is a big one um, for hypnotherapy. It's very effective in helping people to realign their anxiety and their thinking around that. It's one of those things where often somebody will come to you to talk about something in something specifically. So it might be that they are struggling with alcohol intake, for example. And what you start to find is that it's not necessarily the alcohol addiction that's the problem, that there's some behaviours that underlie that sit with that. And counselling is very similar. You know, you come up, you you start talking about one thing and, and it leads you to other things. I think the positive thing about hemotherapy is it's quite a quick therapy. So, you know, you, you'd expect to kind of see some results within sort of three to four sessions for each sort of theme that you're working on. So, um, yeah, you might come for an alcohol issue and you might start working on anxiety. So you might do three three sessions for anxiety and then you might move into the to the alcohol part. So it's sort of there's underlying patterns that you help people to, to change. And also I guess we just need to acknowledge the space that hypnotherapy is not for everyone. So making sure you're checking in with your clinician or your doctor, whether that's something that would be helpful for you and making sure that um, you're going to see, I guess, how do they find a hypnotherapist, Jess? Is there a registration body that they can look up so that they know the people they're going to have got the training behind them? Yeah, so there's the Australian Hypnotherapy Association and when you're looking for hypnotherapy, you want to look for more modern hypnotherapy. So they call it the Ericksonian hypnotherapy, which is a more modern based hypno, which is much more, um, it's not scripted, so it's tailored to you. So rather than old style, wave the clock in front of your eyes and put you into hypnosis, modern hypnotherapy is much more like a deep relaxation and it's much more targeted for you and your issue that you're working through. I want to stay here and talk about this 
for the whole 45 minutes, but I know that we need to honor the space that you've come on for and the challenge and the adversity that you face, Jess. So of course, if anyone wants us to bring Jess back on and talk about more about hypnotherapy, put your hands Happy up to. because we'd love to, we'd love to dive deep into understanding that a little bit more and how that can be helpful for our listeners going forwards. But Jess, let's, let's talk about a challenge that you faced. You know, we, we've had a conversation about what challenge to talk about and we've talked that there may be a couple, but how about we start with anxiety? Because I know that's something that you have lived with on a daily basis for decades now. And it's almost, I guess, anyone that knows you may not even be aware because it's kind of like this silent condition that sits behind your bubbly, smiley face that most people are unaware of. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I guess I I like to call myself a highly functioning anxious person. (laughs) And what does that mean for you when you say that, Jess? Uh, I guess I am somebody who overthinks things and I spend a lot of time in that sort of thinking space. I'm a people pleaser by nature. And there we go. There's my first reframe of the day. (laughs) I I have been a people pleaser in the past and I'm working towards not being a people pleaser. (laughs) But yeah, look, I think um, for me, the anxiety part is something I hide and I try and hide really well. I don't know necessarily as I've got older, I think I'm better at managing it. So I probably hide it better, but I'm also more open about it because I recognize, particularly in young people now, I see so many people feeling anxious. And when I see that, I I want to reach out and say to people, you know, you can live with this. You can live with anxiety. It's not the end of the world. It's tough. It's really tough. But you can, there are tools and, and things you can use to, to um, help manage that feeling. So for me, when I get anxious, I get this kind of creepy, kind of strangly feeling. And when I identify that, that's when I know that I need to get on top of my feelings and, and do something about it. So let's just talk around how anxiety shows up in your world, Jess. So, you know, what are the thoughts, the behaviors? How do you, you talked about that creepy feeling about it coming up and almost feeling like something's strangling you? Are there other signs and symptoms for you? Yeah, I, I think um, obviously there's signs long before that starts to happen that I probably wasn't aware of earlier in my life, but I'm getting much, much better at at looking at. Um, I usually, I start to feel a little bit flat and a little bit sort of, I guess, off. And I start to go into my own world. So I stop socializing and I start sort of overthinking everything, avoiding doing things that I would normally love to do. I start to see those little patterns change and and I, yeah, I really have to push myself past that. And you stop answering your phone? (laughs) I do. You know me well. <laughs> so that's a sign for me as a friend that mm. when you're not answering and I've rung three or four times, I think, uh-oh, Jess is going into a little bit of a hibernation phase and perhaps, you know, because we've had conversations in the past, I know it's helpful for me to keep reaching out yes. and I usually send a text and tell you that I need you for something which will pull you out of that space. I don't want to give all of my secrets away for you, <laughs> Jess. But, um... <laughs> that's spot on and I think because you and I have, you know, been friends for such a long time and, and we've talked about what can help me in that space when when I'm not in an anxious space. I think you and I have talked about that a lot. How do you best help me when when you see the start to see the signs? And what's that kind of what does that look like? And how do you and you know that if I'm not answering my phone that I am needing you but I'm just in denial. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group, 
Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes. So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. And what's the hardest part for you when you think about the anxiety? What is when you really, really sit in that? What is the hardest part for you? I think probably because I care too much about what other people think about me. So I think for me, the hardest part is not showing my best self or not putting my best self forward all the time. And when I'm in an anxious space, I'm often not able to, I don't know, I guess I don't feel like being particularly social. I don't feel at my best. So I don't feel like I should be sharing that with other people. And I think there's there's a, a part of me that in the last few years, vulnerability has become an important part of who I am. And by being more vulnerable, when I'm in that sort of flat, anxious space, I actually think that that's more real. That's more who I am. So I'm trying to honor that a little bit more because let's be honest, you know, we all have shit days and we all have days where we don't want to get out of bed occasionally. There's days when things are really hard, but instead of not talking about it, I think it it really helps me to actually, you know, honor it and notice it and have a conversation with somebody around it and say, yeah, you know, I'm not feeling my best at the moment or I'm, I'm in, in a space which is hard because that's how I heal. I heal by speaking about it even when I don't want to. Interesting you say that. This has been a common theme that's popped up in a number of episodes and, you know, just to draw, it, draw attention to it is when is it okay to hide away, you know, when you mm. just need to kind of regroup and feel like get you're getting some energy back and you're kind of filling your bucket up that way versus when is it helpful to bring the strategies in to draw you out? And I guess this is what we're talking about here with you, Jess, is how do we know? How do you know which is what you need and how are your people that support you going to know what you need? Mm. I don't think there's a perfect science, unfortunately, but I think it is it is about talking talking about it and not necessarily not ignoring it. With the people around me who who love me, I think it's important that that they hold the space for me, acknowledge it. But also, you know, like you don't let me sit in it too long. I can sit in it like I guess I can sit with that feeling for a while and that I think there's there's healthy parts of that but you often will say to me Jess it's time to you know time to push it along now and Nick will do the same my husband will do the same he sort of let me sit in it for a little bit and then he's like okay it's time to move on now you've overthought that to the to the max it's time to to make some take some action so I think taking action for me is the first step so even when I don't want to um when I know I don't want to leave the house or you know I just put my shoes on and walk the kids to the bus stop or you know make that extra effort to go to the school assembly or you know show up somewhere where I don't really want to be and usually the the idea of it is worse than actually getting there and that's something I've really learned anxiety is so future focused you know that my anxiety is all about what might happen in the future it's so focused on the what could and what if but the reality is very rarely does the things I worry about actually happen so in that moment if I can just take that one step, take that action in that in that space where I'm at, generally the bad stuff that I'm imagining doesn't happen. Generally that social part that I'm scared of doesn't 
you know, turn out that way. Does that make sense? It does. And I was thinking as you say that, that that's definitely what I notice is the hardest part for you though, mm. is that action. And no matter oh, yeah. where, how small or big it is, getting that and getting that action. And I think you were the one that said to me, you've been listening to a lot of Mel Robbins lately mm. and she talks a lot about just doing the one thing. What's the one thing you can do? We, we talk about it as in what is one thing you can do that gets you one step closer to the outcome you're trying to achieve. And I do that in work all the time. I break it down. I often feel extremely overwhelmed with the amount of work I have between the different companies and I think okay if I could just do one thing right now just one only focus on the one and just do that one yeah there's it's really valuable if you can just go okay I'm just going to achieve one thing today it's going to take me one step forward so just focus on that one next step don't think about it as a huge to-do list just go what am I going to do and it might be as simple as you know making a phone call or walking out the front door, or, you know, going down to get a coffee when you'd rather make one at home, whatever it is. And I think from that, you do the next step and then the next step and then the next step. So it's, you know, you don't have to think about that third step, but once you've done one, it's like, okay, how do I repeat this process or how do I add on to this process and couple it with something that I feel comfortable doing? Yes. You know, getting a support person to come with you if it's a social setting and you're not sure yes. about going or asking a friend to go for a walk if you're not really comfortable getting out of the house. Yes. And those are the things I think that sound so simple, but when you are in a in a hard space or you're in an anxious space, that can be it can be tricky and hard. Jess, we've spoken about the word anxiety. I guess it's really important just to also acknowledge that there's stress and there's anxiety. And stress is can be really resourceful and helpful for us. So if anyone out there is thinking that stress is bad, it's not necessarily bad. It's probably not great if you've got long-term stress or you don't kind of ebb and flow in and out of it. But sometimes when we want to get in a state of arousal, to be in our peak performance, there does need to be an element of stress there. And if you think of a bell curve, on one side is when you don't have enough kind of input or enough kind of stimulus, then that side of the bell curve can actually look the same as what the other side of the bell curve when you have too much stimulus or too much input. And so both of those, you could be lethargic or you could be anxious or you could feel like your hands start sweating. There's a whole lot of symptoms which we're going to go through in a sec. But in the middle is this kind of magical zone of enough stimulus and enough input to be at your best, to be at your peak performance. And so how I often think about and talk about with my clients or my anyone in the gym is is it something that's hanging around? Like, is it situational? Does it ebb and flow? Do you feel that pressure release? Or is it something that's continuing to either gradually build and progress? Or is it something that's impacting your everyday life? And if it's impacting your everyday life, then yes, we absolutely need to address it and talk to someone about it, a clinician, a doctor, a psychologist, a counselor, a hypnotherapist, you know, someone and get some strategies on how you can kind of sit in that genius zone as opposed to sitting on one side or the other. And that, you know, that takes a long time to become that self-aware. Yeah, I think when I talk about being a high-functioning, anxious person, I think for me anxiety is actually a positive part of my life as well as a negative part. So the anxiety actually does push me to be the very best I am when it gets to that point. You know, when I'm at that, that peak performance point, there is definitely a an anxious part of me because that's what makes me super responsible, super achiever, super, you know, arranger. I can get everything done. I can, it, when I'm in that slightly anxious space, it's really productive and very effective. For me, it's just noticing when I'm tipping over 
when I'm tipping into that space. And I want to ask you about that tip over because you talked about catastrophizings Mm. and you also talked about fear, but uh, Mm. I want to also talk about some of the physical signs and the behaviors that you see. So when I think about anxiety, you can think about it. What are the psychological symptoms? What are the physical symptoms? What are the behavioral symptoms? And the more you can kind of start to understand that within yourself, the more we can kind of tackle it with the tools that we have in our toolbox or collect more tools to help us in that space. So what do you notice from a physical perspective yeah so I get I tend to not realize that I'm not breathing I'm breathing very shallow breaths and I'm usually in that sort of you know I start to feel those physical symptoms of like I can't really explain it but it's this sort of tight like tight up. fear yeah it's this sort of fear this sort of reaction this fight fight or flight for those that can't see Jess when she describes it <laughs> Her whole body lifts, her shoulders come up to her ears, she grows Mm. taller, she grows tenser. Like I can physically see your body changing even just – talking about that space so you know one of the one of the really great strategies I use here is I get someone on the ground this is great anyone that's got kids or anyone that experiences anxiety or stress themselves and you want to get a little bit more in touch draw a body on the ground you can get a big piece of butcher's paper or you can just do it with chalk and outline of your body and really think about what are the areas what happens in my head what happens at my heart what happens at my shoulders, my hands, my my tummy? Does you know? For me, when I start to get a little anxious, I feel like I'm getting a bit of a tummy ache or mm. butterflies. There's a mm. difference for me between my butterflies and a tummy ache. Lots of kids talk about that feeling, that mm. butterfly feeling, and and they think they've got a tummy ache, but it's probably a little bit of anxiety. Yeah, my my eldest daughter gets a bit of anxiety, and she gets stomach cramps, and we have to try and map our way through: is this actually a stomach cramp? Or is it anxiety? And and Mm. we haven't worked that out yet. So just, Mm. I guess, also acknowledging in this space that you don't just work it out and know it. It takes time. And you spoke a lot about the psychological. You spoke about the fear. You spoke about the thoughts. Like what what happens in your thoughts? What does that look like? How does that show up in your world? I I just take things to, to the next level, that catastrophizing. Can you give us an example? Because some people may not know what we mean when we say that. So when... In 2019, when we had the bushfires here in Port Macquarie, we, you know, that that feeling of anxiety stuck with me. So I, the first day that, that, that it happened, you know, my young, my four-year-old was at daycare and I was in at work and I got a phone call saying, actually it was a text message from RFS saying, you know, the fire's here, it's time to shelter. And I was at my workplace and my son was a 20-minute drive away and the roads were blocked to get to him. So that fight or flight definitely hit me in that moment. And, of course, that's what you're meant to do, right? Your body is meant to have that kind of response in a situation like bushfire. And that was all very normal and, and you know, thankfully a friend of mine was able to take him away from daycare and, and he was safe at her house and we got back into to our area and everything was okay and we watched the fire go past and we had the bombers come and they dropped the red stuff and we, we were so well looked after and thankfully no one in Lake Hadley lost a house and everybody was okay, we were all fine. But from that moment on, any time that I'd even smell smoke or I'd hear the fires go across, or the rescue helicopter would come because we had days and days of them water bombing. I could feel that physical feeling of that anxiety and that stress creeping back. And even now, you know, we had there was some burning off happening. So this is what we three, four years down the track, 
And there was some burning off happening just recently. And I walked out in the morning and I smelt that smell of smoke and I physically had a reaction. I physically had that fear of like, oh my gosh, yeah, my brain was telling me that there's a fire is about to happen. And and I went into that overthinking, okay, you know, checking the RFS website, making sure that, you know, are the roads open? Where can I go? What what will I do if the children, you know, um, need, you know, I'm in town and they're at home. How do I make sure that what, do I, what this overthinking, all, all that, that stuff that I wouldn't normally need to do. And when you say overthinking, was that like in a couple of minutes or was that a couple of hours or a couple of days of thinking about that from that scenario? For me, yeah, like it, st- it stays with me until I can really either stop myself and give myself that, that you're safe, it's okay my amygdala is firing because it, it's it's felt that feeling before. So my amygdala is going, something's wrong. You need to act now. So I've just got to talk it down. So I sort, sort of try and say to my brain, hey, you're safe. Everything is okay. This feeling's happened before, but you know that you've been okay. You know that you have survived. Everybody was okay. You just need to just take some breaths just do whatever, you know, go for a walk, get some physical exercise, do something to change that pattern of thinking. And then I can, I can go back into a space of everything's okay. My brain is all right. (laughs) Calm myself down. And I guess what we're talking about here, Jess, I mean, a lot of people will relate to that bushfire scenario because a lot of people have been through mm-hmm. that. I know there's we've got a lot of overseas listeners. In Australia, it's something we live with every summer, but that's a really traumatic event. I guess what we're talking about here is that same thought process can happen for you on something in your everyday life, right? So that's the fire scenario, which, you know, absolutely. And there will be some post-traumatic stress there as well, which is completely understandable. And we've spoken about this, but I know it can come up in your everyday life, like with the chicken that broke its leg. (laughs) Are you able to talk to us a little bit about that? So people can see how it tracks, you know, in Mm. a big disastrous scenario that's life-threatening versus something that might be just in your everyday life, but it's still feels like it's all consuming yeah so um recently one of our chickens this sounds ridiculous but one of our chickens broke its leg and I'd noticed that I hadn't seen it all day so I went down looking for it because normally our chickens are very social I should give some context because (laughs) otherwise I sound like a crazy person our chickens are very very social and very part of the kids life so they've they've raised them from tiny little chicks they're part of the family they wait for the kids to come home from school off the bus. They sit at the dinner table when you guys eat. They- <laughs> <laughs> We're not quite there, but, you know, we, we do love our chickens. <laughs> so I hadn't seen this chicken all day. And so I went down to check on her and she was um, perched up in, in, in a chicken house and she wouldn't move. So I picked her up and I realized that she's done something to her leg. She's broken it somehow. So, you know, it's an obvious break. Now, I come from, you know, a family where we probably wouldn't take a chicken to a vet, but I would now because they can't become part of my family. But Nick was like, well, it's a chicken, you know. So I YouTubed how to splint the chicken's leg and, you know, we've looked after the chicken and she's she's doing great. But I went from, oh, my gosh, the chicken is going, I'm going to have to put the chicken down. We're going to have to, the kids are going to be devastated. They've recently lost one that was sick. You know, how am I going to explain this to the children? Do I need to go to the vet? What does that look like? How am I going to make my week work around having to take the chicken to the vet, having to do, you know, what's it going to cost? How much is a chicken x-ray? You know, what, what kind of splint will they put on? How's that going to be? What am I going to have to do? Am I going to have to go to the chemist and buy something? You know, I just went to this full on kind of dialogue. Yeah. There was this whole dialogue that sounds exhausting. Listen, 
listening, Jess, I can't imagine what it would have been like for you to be in that space. Around a chicken, right? It's a chicken. But this is what we're talking about. It doesn't matter whether it's a chicken or how you're going to pick the kids up from school or what food you're going to eat. Yes. It seems to manifest in multiple aspects of your day. And so I've given you a really severe example and a really basic example, but I guess that's kind of, yeah, that is where, that's how I live with anxiety. Yeah. You know, it, it, it sneaks up when I least expect it and it's something that I just really need to stop and go, it's just a chicken. She's okay. You've done everything you can to manage this. You've explained it to the children. They're, they're prepared that they might lose her. That's all you can do. Let it go. You don't need to get up in the night and check on her, which I may have done once or twice. <laughs> What's the chicken's name? Ginger. <laughs> Ginger. Well, we all wish Ginger the best of best of <laughs> happy, healthiest life possible. But Jess, what I'm going to pick up on here is the strategies that you're using because I think that's going to be really helpful for our listeners. When you're in that state, do you notice it and then you think, what can I do? Like how do you go from all of those thoughts that you just said and you were speaking so fast and you were talking like this and then this happens and then this happens and then, and oh, my God, and what about this? And how, what, how do you go from that to I need to – do something here. And um, I think I've got better and better at noticing that feeling and noticing the beginning of the chatter. symptoms. Yeah. The chatter starts and I just have to wind myself back and go, okay, let's just sit with this for a minute. Yes, this could be catastrophic. The chicken might die. The chicken die. die. <laughs> but the chicken might die. But you can cope with this and you've coped with harder stuff. So the first thing you do is you notice the symptoms. Yeah. And then do you literally snap into, okay, now I've got to start having a conversation with myself? No, I probably, I probably stop and try and just, uh, I, I, I've got, I've got a piece of paper that I write stuff on that I write down. What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? What's happened in the past, like times I've overcome it. So I guess that's kind of what I do. I go, okay, I, I do jump to the, what's the worst thing that could happen. And usually it's not as bad as I'm sort of making out to be. So Jess, I know that sheet you're talking about. You have a sheet on your fridge at home that says what is going on right now? Yeah. What is the worst that can happen? Yeah. And what's the third column? When's the time you've overcome it? So getting the evidence, getting the evidence and the facts. Yeah. So I collect all of that um, and I, I I do that kind of in my head these days. I didn't yeah. used to, but and I've kind of adapted it a little bit, I guess, to make it work best for me. But that's kind of the first processes that I that I go through and then I'm able to realign my thinking around it so I'm trying to work on changing the pattern of thinking that is getting me into that catastrophic mode and just try and bring it back a few steps and and what I hear you do in that space is you fact check so you get yes, the evidence, I do. then you have a chat to yourself, almost like an adult's talking to a child. It's almost like like you can hear that as you say it. It's like, you know, you're going to be okay, Jess. You know, you've seen this before. And then after that you have these mantras like I heard you say to let it go, everything's going to be okay. So you come in with these one-liners yep. that can help calm your mind. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot, I guess, but it's less than doing the crazy overthinking. Do you know? So it's, it seems like a lot to try and think about when you're in that space, 
it is more reassuring to me than than like going 100 miles an hour. Mm. Does that make sense? And another really good strategy that you can use in this space, if this is the first time you've heard it, is Christy and James talked about it on one of our podcast episodes, is hand to heart. Mm. So doing something physical, placing your hand over your heart. We talked about it in, in grief, but you can actually do this in the space of anxiety. And just having that simple warmth to warmth is enough to kind of allow you to focus in on your breath. It's almost like, what do you call it? Like a cue to kind yes. of focus in on your breath. And then you can start to think, well, okay, what am I going to do in this space? What strategies have I got? Am I going to use this tool that Jess is talking about? Am I going to use a tool that helps with my mindset and what I'm thinking? Am I going to use breath work, which Dylan's talked about in previous podcasts and so did Dane. So, you know, five breaths in, five breaths out. Uh, we absolutely can pop up some breath work and strategies up in challenges that change us in the Facebook group. Yeah, or even like grounding yourself. You know, sometimes I'll just go with my shoes off and stand on the grass and just feel the feeling of, the, of my feet on the grass and what that feels like. Or for me, the beach is another place where I can ground, where I feel like it just gives me that space. Or being near water, something where you can really really just be there and be mindful, I guess, and be in that 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 space rather than the the crazy overthinking. And if you're in a scenario where you can't just stand in the soil or on the beach, you're focusing in on one thing. Mm. So looking at a pen and looking at its colours and how does yes. it feel and what what do you notice about the pen? Like focusing all that attention into one object or one thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you used that, Jess? Yeah, I do. And I use that, you know, when you look around the room. So when you're really heightened, you look around and look for something you can see, something you can hear, something you can taste, something you can smell to really just bring you back to that, you know, to the moment and to where you are rather than being in the future, which is where my anxiety takes me. Mm. And talking about those senses, you can use sound. So there's a couple of things you can do with sound. You can listen to like a muscle relaxation online where you can just plug it into your ears and it allows you to tense and release, tense and release. So there's a physical response there that will allow to help calm you. But even just listening to classical music or something, you know, forest music or rain music, it's personal preference in this space, but putting some music in that helps you just kind of go, ah, Mm. Um, or even okay. just stopping and listening to what you can hear around you you know you can hear the birds can you hear the air conditioning running can you hear the computer making a sound you know can you hear the garbage truck like just bringing it back to to where you are in that moment you know it can be quite a quick and effective way just to just become more present again and Jess, where did you learn all this stuff? We did a lot in psych. You've done a lot through the courses, but I know you've also looked a lot at books, Instagram, like, and you can take a moment just to think about this. Mm -hmm. I want you to think about a couple of like, give mm -hmm. some suggestions here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Instagrams, books, is there some that you've found more helpful or resources that you've loved that we can share with the audience? Yeah. Um, I love being in this wellbeing space. So I do do a lot of reading, a lot of self-help type work you know it's kind of my interest I guess I find I do a lot of reading around sort of coaching and, and that mental health space and I think you and I've talked about this before else but mental health and being your very most healthy in the well-being space is very similar to fitness and this is something that I probably only in the last few years really recognized I always thought that mental health like you either had it or you don't I never thought about mental health as something that kind of goes in peaks and troughs, similar to, you know, physical fitness. 
So we can't always be at our peak physical fitness and the same with our mental health. And I think that's something that I've really learned that I have to do the work in order to keep my peak mental health fitness. I hate the word mental health. I I mean, I dislike the word mental health. I really prefer it to be, I don't know, well-being or something a bit more soft. Mental health sounds like it's sort of has negative. Well, it's had such a stigma in the past, I think. I think we're trying to change how people understand it without changing the word. Yeah. And you mm. re- you and I have talked about this a lot about how we how we make it um, a less sort of taboo topic because you know, it, it's so important and we all have it. You know, we all have mental health, right? Whether it's good or bad, we all have it. So some of the tools and, and, and things I use, I read a lot of books. So one of my all-time favorite books that I read a few years ago, which really helped me, and you've probably read it, else. it's called Change Your Thinking. It's by Sarah Edelman, and it's really helped me. It's sort of a CBT-based book, but that's really helped me to really recognize some of my thoughts and, and the way that I do things. I listen to a lot of Brene Brown Mel Robbins. There's a fantastic woman named, there are two some, um, Liz Fosselin and Molly West Duffy, and they do like visual things around feelings because I'm quite a visual person. I enjoy looking at the pictures that they draw. When you say that they do this, is that on Instagram? Where do people find them? I found them on LinkedIn, but they've got a couple of books out. One of them's called no hard feelings and the other one's called big feelings at work I think or something like that so it's sort of they they are I guess leadership based a little bit but they do have some really great diagrams of the way our brains work and that really sits with me well and one thing Jess we've spoken about over the years is it's they're transferable skills so yeah. what I used to teach people in the counseling room and, and the strategies I use there, I use in the gym, I use in the yoga studio, I now use in the leadership space. I don't know that we need to be segmenting it out to this is what leaders use. I think it's as humans, as we walk in the world, let's grow and expand our minds and educate ourselves and practice the tools so that when we need them, we've got them at our fingertips. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's really important that you know, you can, you apply some of the, well, for us, we apply some of the things that we know. It might be something you learn at work, but you can apply it to home as well. You know, strengths, for example, I use that with the children all the time. You know, I know, I have a rough idea of what their strengths are. I've never done a profile on them, but I can tell. And so I focus the way I speak to them or I focus the, the way I motivate them based on their strengths. Yeah. And what about podcasts or Instagrams? Do you, is there something yeah, you love? I, yeah, I follow, um, I love like Glennon Doyle and, you know, that sort of that, I guess it's all that Brene Brown crew. I love listening to them. I listen to a lot of nutrition and health and well-being in that sort of space. And also there's like places that you can go like Beyond Blue that will have some really great resources up there. And we always have the helplines at the beginning and end of this podcast and it's also on our Facebook groups. So there is places you can go, but it is a little like studying a degree, I think. Would you say that's fair, Jess? Yeah, I'm always learning something new and, you know, I'm always taking away Every day I take away something different from a, you know, an Instagram feed or a reel or a book that I've read or, you know, I guess it's just an interest so I'm always in that space. But, yeah, there's always something new. And Jess, how can someone, in your experience, how can someone best support someone going through anxiety? Not dismissing anxiety or not dismissing the feelings is probably the the number one thing. Sometimes 
sometimes people are very quick to say, oh, you'll be right or don't be ridiculous. While the thinking that the person might be having might be completely irrational, it's not a helpful thing to say, I'll just get on with it, you'll be right. The best thing you can do is hear them and just be with them for a moment in that in that space and, and try and walk in their shoes for a minute and ask questions. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to tell them that yet the world's going to end or agree with them that the world's going to end. But I think it's really important that they feel heard and then you can start to talk about them with them about what's next and how they can move forward rather than being in that space of overthinking and rethinking and catastrophizing. Mm-hmm. So really being able to say to somebody, you know, what do you think you could do to, to make yourself feel better? Or what's one step you can take to help this feeling? Or what's something that's worked for you in the past? Have you felt like this before? And and yeah. what did you use last time? But what you can hear in Jess and me, in, in my voice is that curiosity question. It's not a, it's not a, well, mm. what did you do before? Like what you've had this before. It's not a statement question. It's a curious question, you know, a softly, softly approach like, oh, is this something that you, is this familiar? Like, you know, have you, have you ever spoken to anyone that has been through this and what did they use? Yeah. Acknowledging that feeling, I think, and acknowledging that, that people have problems because especially when you think about the kids, like if a child comes home from school and tells you they've had a hard day. Lots of people just dismiss it or say, oh, that's no good. You'll be right. Tomorrow will be better. Sometimes it's nice to just say to somebody, oh, I'm sorry that you felt that way or that must have been really hard. Just that acknowledging. Or tell me more about it. Tell me more about it. Yeah. that's And that just gives them that space to talk, that space to open up and that space then to be able to go, okay, I've talked about it now. I'm okay. Or then you can start to ask more curious questions around what you can do to to help them move through that. So Jess, was it hard for you to come on this podcast and talk about your anxiety because you have such a professional way of speaking about it? Because, you know, we do, we, you and I, we chat about this all the time. It's just a common conversation for a Wednesday afternoon for us. But I'm wondering, you know, personally, was it hard for you to come on and open up in that space? Yeah, I think um, that being vulnerable in that space is really hard because I am frightened of people's judgment. I know that, you know, working in the space that I do and, and be, you know, being a therapist, being a HR professional, you expect that I'd have my shit together, right? So to speak about it openly is challenging. I think I, I, I don't do it easily and I think that it's something that, is important though because I can see that there's so much of it now so much so many people are are feeling anxious and if we don't talk about it then there's no normalizing it and I think normalizing it well I'm hoping that normalizing it will will help more of these conversations happen and, and more people feel supported in this space and I think too what you have done Jess is people that know you probably look up to you. I'd imagine a lot of people in your world think that you do have your shit together because when they see you are so well-dressed and you hold space for other people so well that they would not understand or even begin to believe that what we've spoken about here on the podcast today is part of your world as well. And so I hope that by having this conversation, others can get hope that it's okay and there is a way through it and there's going to be times that are really tough. There will be. We're not saying there's not going to be, but there are strategies you can use and that you don't stay in that space forever. 
Yeah. And that talking about it is okay. Do you know, talking about it doesn't make you weaker, doesn't make you somebody who hasn't got your shit together. You can still have your shit together and still have some, you know. Anxiety. Yeah. Some things that aren't perfect. No one's life is perfect. And in a world of, you know, Instagram perfection, it's not real and it's not really helpful. And anxiety is the most common mental health condition in Australia. I don't know if you're aware of that, but on average one in four people, that's one in three women and one in five men will experience anxiety at some stage in their life. So that, just to to open those stats up for you, these are from Beyond Blue. In a Mm. 12-month period, over 2 million Australians experience anxiety. Like if we just take a moment and I think we're not talking about it, we need to learn from each other. We need to be having the conversations more often. Yes, they're raw, but let's have the robust conversations. Let's find out what other people are using and what's helped for them and let's share our knowledge and resources about what books we've read and, you know, what Instagram pages we're looking at because the best thing about this is there's some really, and we've said it, there's some really great strategies that do work. There certainly are. Yeah. And Jess, I'd love to finish the podcast with what is someone or something in your world that truly makes you belly laugh? Don't suppose I can talk about the chickens again now. (laughs) You definitely can. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, they do make me belly laugh. When the kids come home from school and they feed them mealworms and, you know, one of the, the kids have trained them to like jump and jump through hoops and all sorts of things. So they they make me belly laugh. <laughs> and thank you so much, Jess, for coming on. As we spoke about being vulnerable because when, when we first started this podcast, you said it's hidden, it's behind closed doors, and you've just opened it up internationally. You don't know mm. who's going to hear this podcast. Thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, just to freak you out. No, but, like, I just – Thank you. Thank you for being so honest and having the conversation and hopefully opening the conversation up for others. Thanks, Alice. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for holding a space for me. I feel like I've had a really nice counselling session. Reflecting on that episode, I think it was really helpful that Jess spoke about her anxiety with the bushfires and with the chicken. You could hear that sometimes anxiety gets a life of its own and it doesn't always depend on the stimulus. In the years I've known Jess, I've watched her anxiety ebb and flow and what has been consistent is her determination to find tools and resources that work for her. The five key takeaways I took from this episode were take small acts of bravery, challenge yourself talk, anxiety is future focused, anchor yourself in the present moment and the key is to get to know your anxiety For some of you, this topic may feel like the back of your hand. You know it inside out, back the front, flip it anyway. And for others, you might have been listening to this thinking to yourself, oh my God, that's me. I had no idea that my pattern of thinking and behaviors sit in the anxiety space. If you want to reach out and talk to someone, you can speak to your doctor, a counselor, a therapist, and there are some great resources online as Jess mentioned, and I'm always happy to add more resources to our library in the Facebook group. I hope everyone has a great week and I will see you next Monday. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.